Our scripture today is Philippians 2, 19 through 30. Paul has moved from a deep well of theology to everyday practical matters. I'll read that in just a few moments. Philippians 2, starting at verse 19. In this world, there are givers and there are takers. We can look at the complex mosaic of our relationships and know who adds something to us and who doesn't. Without giving it much thought, we can name those who will readily act to help others and those who consistently work situations to their own advantage. Now, extreme givers and extreme takers are both exhausting to us in different ways, and most of us are a mix of both. In his book, Give and Take, Adam Grant, an organizational psychologist from the Wharton Business School, describes work where he looked at 3,500 businesses over seven years. For generations, he said, the idea of success has been driven by passion and hard work and luck and talent. But today, he says, success is largely dependent on how we interact with those with whom we work. In our professions, he said, we can separate people out to givers, takers, and those that he calls matchers. And these styles have a surprising impact, not just on individual success, but on how well a company will do overall. Takers are self-focused and strive to get as much as possible out of life because they put their own interests first. Givers are focused on others and tend to provide support with no strings attached. Matchers like to preserve an equal balance with everyone. And sometimes they may sit back and observe what's going on and only give when there's reciprocity involved. Now it turns out that most of us are matchers. Yet according to Grant, in successful companies, most people who work at the top and those who work at the bottom of an organization are givers. And from that group, those who give intentionally make the largest impact on a company. In our passage today, what is noticeable is an absolute spirit of giving and receiving from all involved. Paul has switched from the grand, rich truths about who Christ is and who it is that we are meant to be in talking about a plan for who is to go where and when. Some scholars call this a travel log. The theologian Karl Barth says that Paul isn't doing any teaching at all here. Yet what we catch is an incredible spirit of giving among colleagues that is inspiring for us and a model of who it is that we are supposed to be as the church. So hear the word of the Lord from Philippians 2, beginning at verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth, you know, how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. 
I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your scripture. And as we think on these things, open our ears to hear your word to us. Amen. While there may not be much teaching here, Paul is showing us how theology and daily life go together. What we believe about God and our day-to-day decisions should form a cohesive whole. What we see in this passage is mutuality. In the Bible, the concept of mutual relationships is a core value. When we accept Christ, we make a covenant with the Lord and with one another for the life that we will have on earth. We become part of the body of Christ. We're all work together and everyone needs one another. In the church, it's not healthy. Well, in life, it's not healthy to just be givers or just takers or to practice reciprocity only in our relationships. God expects all of us to be working together. So in this talk about logistics, Paul is showing us four components of mutuality that make it possible for God's people to live out his will on earth. So we're going to look at those four ideas where Paul portrays the reality of shared life, highlighting the centrality of Christ among us. Our mutuality is for a purpose outside of ourselves, It's so that others can join in the life we have with God. So we're going to talk about communication, purpose, encouragement, and covering. So let's start with communication. Mutual mutual relationships require communication. Sometimes we take this piece for granted, yet it is vital for walking through life together. Paul is making sure that everyone knows what's happening so that there are no surprises. When people have information, no one has to guess what's going on. Nobody feels left out. In shared life, all the parties need to feel like they're in the loop. Paul tells them what's going to happen, that Timothy is not going to come right away, but he's going to come soon. It was decided that he would stay with Paul um, until they knew the outcome of Paul's imprisonment. In addition, Epaphroditus is getting sent back to them, and Paul wishes for the church to treat him well. Paul also tells them what they need to know, and he is transparent about his feelings. We see that Paul feels proud of his colleague. He expresses hope in the Lord. He shares his anxiety. He talks about his frustration that are only focused with those who are only focused on themselves. 
Mutuality means that we are real with one another. We tell one another the why of our choices. We also see that as people are coming and going, they have a message for those they come into contact with. They are being sent to and fro with significant words to give one another from the ones who cannot go. Communication matters to our God, who is talking to us all the time. He wanted to tell us so many things that he himself came in the flesh. Jesus' life, given for us, is imparted with words, through beauty, with stories and symbols. It is told in going out to serve and gathering together. When God's voice is heard most clearly, although we can access people instantaneously today across the world with just a touch on a screen, it is by listening to the Lord and by taking time to hear one another that our bonds are cemented. Secondly, mutual relationships require purpose. There are many causes we may be part of in our time on earth, organizations, sports, nonprofits, and other places of belonging and oneness. The church is unlike any kind of club or institution. The shared life Christians have is based on Christ and his living presence among us. And because of this, it's imperative to keep clear what our common cause is in the church. To know Jesus in worship, study, prayer, and confession. To invite others to know Jesus. To make disciples through spiritual formation. To equip the work of the saints. To do the real ministry of Christ, who wants us to meet the needs of the world. Rinse, repeat. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who also wrote from prison, has the best quote about this. The church is the church only when it exists for others, not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell others of every calling, what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. He was building on a different quote from William Tyndale, who gave us the English Bible around the year uh, 1530. Tyndale says this, The church is the one institution that exists for those outside of it, for those not yet part of it. The church is engaged in the supernatural process of following Jesus and doing his will. We see this in the passage. The Philippians, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, all share mutual trust in God for the work that they're doing. While many in life work for something beyond themselves, we see how these believers are risking their earthly existence for the life of Christ to be a true reality in the lives of those who don't yet know him. Paul talks all about hope, the hope that he has for what Christ will do. Those who are seeking Jesus want to know what his will is for the decisions that they make. Epaphroditus comes close to death 
for the work of Christ. It's Paul is telling them what they know and what they count on to be true. That God is the one who decides everything about them. Paul is facilitating the movement, but God is the one who's directing wherever they go. They are committed to accomplishing the work of Christ, no matter the situation. Sometimes we can get lost in what the church is. There are so many congregations emphasizing various aspects of God's life. Those who don't believe in God can portray a negative picture of the church, and we know that some of that bad press is deserved. The church can become a place where we only go to have our spiritual lives met, where programming for believers is its main function, where fights take place over things that God doesn't really care about. When that happens, we forget that the point of the body of Christ is to do what Bonhoeffer says, to exist for others to know God. Paul and his companions didn't forget this, and neither should we. There is strategic movement here, and we see everyone is being positioned in order for the purposes of Christ to be fulfilled. Mutual relationships require encouragement. Look at what Paul does here. He gives incredible commendation to the two men he is talking about. There is no one like Timothy, he says, who is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy seeks God's will, not his own interests. He's like a son to me, Paul says, a valued teammate for the eternal work they undertook. And we know that from other books. When Timothy can't go places, Timothy does. He's faithful. He's a trustworthy companion. And he only has great things to say about Epaphroditus. Paul calls him a brother, a co-worker, a fellow soldier, a messenger, a minister to his needs. Your Bible notes may tell you that messenger means apostle, someone who is sent for the purposes of God. Paul puts Epaphroditus in a special group of early church leaders. Paul talks up his teammates. He gives them honor. They're important. They're not just a means to a spiritual end. He lifts them up as people who are uniquely gifted and called of God. They are valuable, not because of what they do, but because of who they are. All of us want to be recognized this way. All of us want to be seen for who we are, not just for what we accomplish someplace. When Paul talks about them, we feel like we know them a little bit. They aren't just nameless. They have added to his life and to the gospel, and he is thankful. This week, I was reading a blog post from a Christian leader I follow named Carrie Newhoff. And he was saying that one way that leaders can stay humble is to make those they work with a hero. He said, you know, we don't have to take credit for everything. 
We can acknowledge what others have done and push them in front of us so that they are recognized for the part that they played. This is exactly what Paul is doing. Timothy and Epaphroditus are heroes here. God's grace is certainly at work in the lives of these three men. The Holy Spirit is directing them because they are obedient to his will and they are working together. They all have various backgrounds, temperaments, and roles, but all of them are becoming to resemble their Savior more and more. His love and example are clear here. Paul is calling attention to the good coming from the Lord. Amen. Lastly, we see here that mutual relationships require covering one another. What I was most taken by in this passage is this idea. No one is left to suffer through something by themselves. As they work for the gospel, everyone is making sure that the other ones are taken care of. No one is left behind. Think about it. The Philippian church is concerned for Paul and what he is going through. So they send Epaphroditus. Timothy decides to stay with Paul until everything is settled. Paul longs to go and help the church. Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi because Epaphroditus is longing for home and because the church is worried about him. It seems that everyone is outdoing one another in kindness. They are practicing an important part of what it means to be connected to Christ and to one another. This is a huge aspect of the church. All the people here are givers, as well as people who are accepting the love that is offered to them. We see support, we see sending help, lifting up, protecting each other, holding dignity, making sure that everyone has shelter. Paul is doing a great thing by paving the way for Epaphroditus to go home. He tells the church to give this man a welcome home and to honor him. Paul seems to be afraid that they're going to be mad or that they are going to think that the one they sent was a slacker and didn't finish the mission. Here, Paul is in the shadow of death. Don't don't forget that. That Paul could be executed at any time, but he is worried about how his brother is going to be perceived. Everyone is loved. Reputations are protected. Paul is telling the church to not embarrass Epaphroditus or to judge him. As God's people... We don't always get this right, but we should always try. The world is a hard place. Living out the good news of Christ takes a lot out of us. It is vital that we treat one another with kindness in the way that God has treated us. We need to make time for each other and pay attention when someone is struggling. There are close to 50 scriptures in the New Testament about how relationships in the church should be. Listen to some of them. Be devoted to one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Carry one another's burdens. Bear one another. 
forgive one another. Consider one another as more important than yourselves. Comfort one another. Build up each other. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. These things are not different than how it is we are to treat everyone since we are to offer God's presence wherever we go. However, we lift up our brothers and sisters to specifically encourage them in the Lord that we all serve together. This is one way our faith stays alive. We hear sometimes that we can have a relationship with God by ourselves where we don't need other people and we certainly don't need the institutional church. While everyone can know God on their own, his plan, his idea, his will is that we live in the covenantal life, the promise of his community. Paul and his companions are doing that. They're helping one another so the love of God would be experienced by each one of them and that the love of God would go out to more places. Here, Paul is not teaching this truth, but demonstrating it, which makes it almost more powerful than if he had simply told us what to do. We know more of this shared life when we take to heart what Paul is showing us here. Today, let's examine our lives alongside this text, asking ourselves what we value about our shared community in the Lord. What mutuality have you experienced lately or even this week that encouraged your heart, that caused you to know Jesus, maybe that caused others to see him? This week, I have had rich experiences with people in all different kinds of situations, on Zoom and even in person with masks. And I've been blessed by the body of Christ. I've received and I've given and I've been grateful for the Lord meeting me through those who love him too. We are offered a place in his body so that we can go and make disciples while we live out his righteousness and his love and his truth and his grace and his justice. Paul is showing the church how coming alongside one another makes it possible for Jesus to, made to be made real to a world who desperately needs to know him. We give freely because the Lord has given to us. When others want to give to us, we should accept with humility and gratefulness. This passage helps us celebrate the shared life we have in Christ as we are called to serve God and others. So let's take a moment in prayer to examine the promise we have made to the Lord to serve him and be surrendered to him, the commitment that we have to one another in his body, his church, so that we would show mutual love and care for each other as the hope of Jesus shines in us. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.